The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. What a wonderful name it is. Today we call, today, many different names. Some people call it Easter. Some people like to call it Resurrection Day. Some people call it the last day of Holy Week. Uh, We also know this week is Passion Week. I want to add one more to your vocabulary. We'll talk about the Passover week. Uh, We're going to look at the Passover week. We're going to review the meaning and significance of the Passover week because really everything we're here doing today is infused with tremendous meaning and theology and significance when we understand the Passover week, the Lord's Supper, everything that we're talking about really comes to light in the week of Passover. The the Jews were commanded by God to celebrate the Passover. What was the Passover? If you saw Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments, you know what the Passover is. Uh, If you read the book of Exodus, you know what the Passover is. The Passover was the, the really culminating event where Israel was delivered out of their bondage and they escaped death. Uh, from Egypt. Remember, God's people were in Egypt and they were in bondage. And God sent Moses, said, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, not going to happen. And God said, oh, it's going to happen. And I'm going to do it in a way that displays my glory, my strength, and my power. So God, instead of just taking out Pharaoh and getting his people out, he delayed it. And he did it through a series of plagues. He humbled them through a series of plagues. And the last plague was the plague of death. The angel of death was coming, and God was gracious enough to say, if you want to escape death, then you need to listen and believe my word. Listen how this is carried out. You'll hear the gospel in all this. God's word promised, God gave his word, he promised that the blood of the lamb would provide them a way of escape from the coming death and from their bondage in Egypt. And so God said, if you will take the blood of an unblemished lamb, slaughter the lamb and paint the blood on the door frames of your home, the angel of death will pass over your home and spare your lives. You will be saved, hence the name Passover. And so those who heard God's word about this provision of the blood that will bring salvation, and those who believed God, took him in his word about the blood, They had faith. How do we know if they had faith? Well, they obeyed. They put the blood over the doorpost. And those who believed God and acted accordingly were saved from the angel of death. And then they were delivered swiftly out of Egypt into the promised land or towards the promised land. And so they were delivered so swiftly that their bread did not have time to rise and other things, the clothing they wear, they wore. There's all kinds of things that the Bible points out about that day. But what I want you to see is that that day was to be commemorated because God said annually, I don't want you to ever forget this. So annually, he told the Jews that to celebrate this great feast and that this in the middle of the feast, there's this one week called Passover. And so they began to celebrate Passover year after year. Now, when we get to how this relates to us, we know that the time that Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, he intentionally coordinated his timing to arrive during the Passover. 
And we'll see why in just a minute. As he was um, doing his ministry and people were realizing his power, his authority, that he was the Messiah, those who believed said, come on, Jesus, go public with this thing. Come on, do it now. And Jesus said, my time has not come yet. Several times you see that. My time has not come. My time, And you're wondering, what, what is this time? Well, let me review to you what happens during the week of Passover. Because Jesus intentionally timed his arrival during the week of Passover. Equivalent to us, roughly, would be last Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday. On the Sunday, the beginning of Passover, the people would go into town and they would be picking out their unblemished lamb. They would be looking for a lamb. They could not choose any old lamb. They couldn't grab the weakest lamb that had a broken leg. Say, well, I wasn't going to use him anyway. Let's just sacrifice that one. No, they were called to have their best, their unblemished lamb. And so they all went into town looking for the lamb that would be slain. During the week, Monday through Thursday, they were preparing for the Passover meal. There was elements like bitter herbs. Those bitter herbs were a part of the meal to remind them of the bitterness of their bondage from which they were delivered. And so... Thursday night would be at sunset when the sun went down. That would be the next day for them. That would be Friday. It's kind of mind-bending. But Thursday sundown is now Friday. They would then on Friday afternoon would slaughter the unblemished lamb. And then on Sunday, they would come to the temple once again and have a great worship and offering of first fruit offerings. They would offer from the first fruit of their bounty, of their harvest, their provisions of God. And they would worship and praise God for his provisions. And they would make an offering unto the Lord. So that's what was going on. And God intentionally had it where Jesus would time it for the Passover week. So let's think about what Jesus did. We call it Palm Sunday last Sunday. When all the people are in town looking for the unblemished lamb to be slain, Jesus rides in on a colt, on a donkey. Now, we think that doesn't sound very impressive, but actually that's equivalent to our secret service, black Cadillacs driving in men with earpieces. That was the donkey thing. Okay, it was a sign of royalty. He rode in on a donkey He was being worshipped as king. He was being hailed as king. Hosanna in the highest. On Sunday, in town, in Jerusalem, when everybody's looking for the unblemished lamb. Monday, during the week, as they begin to prepare for Passover, he's cleansing the temple. And he's saying, the Lord's house should be a house of prayer. Thursday evening, what's he doing? He's sitting down with his followers his closest disciples, and he's having a meal much like this. And at that meal, we call it the Last Supper because it was his last supper with them before he was crucified. And so he gathered with them and he grabbed a piece of bread from the meal and he held it up and he gave thanks to God for it. Don't you wish you'd been there to see this? And he tore the bread apart. And he said this, is my body broken for you. Do this to remember me. And then later in the meal, he passed the cup around and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant spilled for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And so we understand from the New Testament writers that Jesus was ordaining that we should continue the practice of the Lord's Supper to always remember the meaning and significance of his blood and his body shed on the cross for us. And we call it an ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Some call it communion, some call it Eucharist. But our understanding is what we are doing today is remembering the meaning of Jesus' death on the cross, that he gave his life, he gave his body and his blood for our sins. Now, what was the Passover celebrating? What was the Passover to be a reminder of? It was to remind them that God delivered them from bondage and death when they put their faith in his word concerning the blood of the unblemished lamb. That's the heart of the gospel, the message of the Bible. When Paul says in our passage today, the gospel is good news. The word gospel means good news. What's the good news? It's good news. If you know that you are in bondage and enslaved, if you know that death is certain, it's good news to find a way of escape. It's good news to, be, to discover how to be delivered from your bondage and how to give victory over death, wouldn't you say? Well, the Bible says that the good news is that Jesus is the unblemished Lamb of God and God promises that if you put your hope and trust and your confidence only in the blood of Jesus Christ, that he will deliver you from your bondage to sin and he will resurrect you from the grave. Amen. Amen. That's the good news of the Christian message. That's the heart of the Christian message. That's the gospel that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that we're looking at today. The good news that you can be delivered from sin and death by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. So today we're just going to look at two simple points. The priority of the gospel and the blessings of the gospel. From Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to what he says about the priority of the gospel. Paul says in, in verse 1, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, the good news, which I preach to you, which also you receive, in which also you stand, and by which also you are saved. You're saved by faith in that gospel message about Jesus. Verse 3, I delivered it to you as of first importance. I delivered it to you as of first importance, what I also received And here's the gospel in its most concise summary. Christ died for our sins to fulfill the scriptures and he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So do you notice what Paul is saying here? He said, look, this gospel that I preached, this gospel that I received, I shared with you as the most important truth I can give you. You know, as Christians... We live in a land where everyone around here claims to be Christian, right? Everyone claims to be Christian. And most of us have heard just about everything that the Bible teaches. Just about. We know a lot of the commands of Scripture. We know that we're supposed to be good. We're not supposed to be kind. We're supposed to be generous. We're supposed to share. We're supposed to fight injustice. We're supposed to help others. We know the Bible teaches the value of coming to church and studying the Bible and meeting together and not to neglect that. We know all these things, and those are all great things. But it's not the priority. Those are not of first importance. 
First importance is the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, we are in grave danger as people who know so many good things that the Bible teaches us. We are in very likely to miss the main point. The main point is not be good, do good. The main point is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you are saved from sin and from bondage and from death by faith in Jesus Christ. Now we see, he says, this is the most important. This is of first important. I think of this, this is like when you're on an airplane and you're traveling and the, the flight attendants start going through all the safety procedures and you, you tune them out and like try to finish the last thing before you have to turn your phone off. Well, in case you've never listened, here's what they're saying. I'm not going to act it out, but what they're saying is that if you lose cabin pressure, the oxygen mask will come down. If you have children, what should you do first? Put the oxygen mask on yourself or you will not be able to help your children. I've used this many times at home. When I come home and I am starving, I will eat first. It is only so I can serve my family. If I don't eat, I will not have the strength to serve you, right? She's like, unfortunately, it's true. He says that. So, the gospel is the oxygen of our faith. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is the oxygen that gives us life so that we can do those other things, so that we can serve others, so that we can fight injustices, so we can be kind and generous and and merciful and gracious. God's grace and mercy and kindness and generosity is poured into our lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ, which then empowers us and gives us life to offer that to others. The gospel must come first. So I ask you, have you trusted Christ? What are you banking your hope on? God didn't say to them, death is coming. Go do something nice. Put more in the offering plate. Have a church service. God said, there's only one hope. And it's trust in the blood of the unblemished lamb that I've provided. That's the message to us today. Have you trusted Only are you only currently trusting in the blood of the lamb that must come first. That's the priority of the gospel. After this, he goes through several verses saying, hey, listen, I know some of you are doubting the resurrection. I know this is hard truth to believe because it's just not something you see every day. And so some of you are doubting the resurrection. And he says, listen, What I'm handing you and I'm telling you, this gospel has been handed down to you from eyewitness accounts. He says, when Jesus rose from the grave, he showed himself to Cephas and to these guys and to this group of 500 people and then to the apostles and the 12. And he did, he showed himself to me. He really rose from the grave. You've got to believe this. And then he addresses their doubts and he talks about how important the resurrection is to the Christian faith. In verses 12 through 20, he goes into this detail of all the things that unravel if you don't have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to take these and we're going to work through them, but we're going to see that what he does at the end in verse 20, he says, But Christ has been raised from the grave. And that but changes everything to say all those negatives Don't come true because Christ has been 
raised from the grave. So we're going to look at three blessings of the resurrection. The first is acceptance. Acceptance. You know, we think, well, that doesn't sound like a big deal. Our greatest soul desire, our greatest longing is acceptance. We see it from early age. We see our children. Thankfully, they did not have cell phones which had cameras and recording devices to record us when we were their age because we would never do the things that we see them do for acceptance. We are all born with a deep need to feel accepted, to feel loved, to feel like we belong. And we see children do foolish, foolish things to to be accepted by their peers. And we know we all had that same feeling. We all still do it, but we're just going to pretend the kids do it. But all of us have within us a deep longing to be accepted, longing to be loved, longing to be approved, longing to belong. That comes from the way we were created. We are created to be in union with God, to belong to God, to be accepted by God. And when we are alienated, when we are apart from God because of our sin, we will try so many foolish things to try to feel accepted. But here we see through this explanation of what happens if Christ didn't raise from the grave, we see that we are accepted because Christ has been raised from the grave. Look at verse 17. He says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and that means you are still in your sin. Sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what makes us not able to dwell and be reconciled and to be accepted in the presence of God. But God says, I died on the cross so that your sin could be forgiven. How do you know it's true? Because he rose from the grave. And so when you see the resurrection, you know you are accepted with God if your faith is in Christ. And so you find faith. Finally, acceptance in your life. Your deepest desire is to be accepted with God. And praise God, the resurrection means you are accepted if you have put your faith in Christ. This is how you then can experience. Remember, the gospel is the oxygen. Once you are accepted in Christ, you are able to finally have a proper relationship with others. Listen to what Paul says in Romans fifteen seven. He says, therefore, accept one another. It's what we all want. We all want to be accepted. He says, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Everyone wants to know what it's like to have a spouse who accepts you unconditionally. Everyone knows that there's nothing greater than a a spouse who knows your, your failures, who knows your weaknesses, who knows your warts, who knows your, your bad tendencies, who has seen you at your worst, and they say, I accept you, I love you just as you are. Everyone wants or knows what a blessing it is to have a friend, a good friend who, who's been your buddy, who's been your pal, who's got your back, who's been there for you every step of the way, who's picked you up when you fell down, who says, I'll never stop believing in you. Come on, you got this. You want friends to accept you unconditionally. And when you find that, brother, you praise God for that. 
And you thank God because all those are examples of just a taste of what God is like. God accepts you unconditionally in Christ. The resurrection tells you, you are accepted with God. And that should give you great peace and great joy. So God's acceptance is ours in the resurrection. Next, we see another deep soul longing fulfilled in the resurrection, and that is security. Security, it's one of our great longings and needs of our heart. We all want to know deep down inside that what we've put our trust in will not let us down. We all want to know that when we build our life on this foundation, it's not going to crumble underneath us. We all want to know that, that in the end, when I look at my life, I'm not going to regret it. I'm not going to say, oh, what a waste. What a pity. I poured all of my life into this only to find out it was foolishness. The resurrection says that's not going to happen. We see in the scriptures that in verse 14, Paul said negatively, if Christ has not raised, our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. Moreover, we've made... False witnesses about God because we said God raised him from the dead. And so that makes us liars. It means we're not in the truth. Ultimately, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. If Christ has not been raised, then what is the point of all of this? That's where Paul goes with this. Your faith is worthless. Your preaching is worthless. Your religion is worthless. It's all worthless. Why are you here today if Christ did not raise from the grave? But contrary to that, Christ has risen from the grave. And that means it's not pointless. Your life is not meaningless. You you can know for sure that you'll get to the end of your life. One life lived for Jesus will be worth it. It will count. It will be significant. It will matter. It will not be foolishness. It will be worth it. That's the security that we all long for. It's a terrible feeling to wonder if all that you're doing is pointless. The writer of Ecclesiastes speaks about this in 1.14. He's despairing of life apart from God. And he says, I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity. It's all striving after the wind. Have you ever felt that way? I'm 47 now. And I'm tempted to feel that way. Every year I get older, I, I, I have a tendency more to look back over my life and say, what is it counting for? Does it matter? I'm going to, by God's grace, give my whole life to planting and building a healthy church. And when I walk away, is it all going to disappear in the next generation's hands? Or perhaps you are building your business and you've poured your whole life, sweat, blood and tears into to building that business. And you, you think when I hand it to my kids, will it just all crumble and evaporate? Will it all be worthless and meaningless? This is the cry of the writer of Ecclesiastes. Is he's looked at his life and he says all the books and all the study. And, and if there's nothing after this, it's all meaningless. It's all vanity. You ever felt that? This is the the hopelessness of life 
without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's our third point. The resurrection brings hope. It brings acceptance. It brings security. And it brings hope. Hope for now and hope for the future after death. Look at verse 18 through 20. Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hope in Christ in this life only, we are all, we are of all men most to be pitied. He's saying, look, if this is all there is, that is sad. That is so sad to give our life and find out in the end there is nothing else left. I think if we all really lived like this was all there is, it'd be a lot scarier world to live in. I mean, if you really thought, I may have 20 more years, 30 more years. Every day we're going to get more wicked and more wicked because I'm going to do whatever it takes to get mine. And I don't care what happens to you because I'm going to get all I can at your expense because there is no accountability. There is no afterlife. There is no reward. Why would you be good? How sad would it be if this is all there is? But the resurrection says that's not all there is. There is hope, there is meaning, there is significance in every little thing you do. There is life after death. At Easter time, I know there's a lot of people who are grieving today over the loss of someone they love dearly. That's what happens at holidays. Because those traditional patterns, we know we're usually here with them. And they've died. As this text says, they've gone asleep. They're already asleep in Christ. They've already died as believers The Bible says that because Christ rose from the grave, he was the first fruit guaranteeing that those in Christ will rise from the grave as well. And so there will be a great day, a glorious day when the dead in Christ will rise. And that means that at that day when we meet our our maker, when we are face to face with him, those who are in Christ will be received to live with him eternally. And then he gives us our great reward where life has significance. And he says, everything that you did in faith, every kind gesture, every prayer for your enemies, every act of generosity, every act of mercy, every act of grace, every obedience... Everything you did in faith to the glory of God, he says, are crowns in the jewel of life as he sets it on your head and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. There is a hope that comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we come to the Lord's table, supper table today, this is what I want us to think about. The The bread represents the body of Christ that was pierced for our sin. The juice represents the blood of Christ, which was spilled on the cross because he says, my blood offers forgiveness of sins. As I said before, if you are not trusting in Christ, our prayer is God open their eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you are a believer and you belong to another church, we invite you to come participate in the Lord's Supper. The way we do it, we come in groups. 
If you're by yourself, just grab someone next to you. Our members will be looking to grab people to say, come with me. Come in community groups, come in family groups, come in sitting groups. However, we come and we, we partake of the Lord's Supper. There's four stations, one there, one there, there, and there. And so at this time, I'll model for you. So I invite my family to come and anybody who hasn't been able to take the Lord's Supper because you're serving can come and just join me. And I'm just going to model for you. This is not the only way to do it. But my family, yeah, y'all come and uh, I'll model for you how we're going to take of the Lord's Supper. So I've handed out the, the crackers and the juice and then I'll read to them. The Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed said this. He said, For often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Then he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And together they drank. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, who died on the cross as our substitute and rose from the grave in victory over death. We praise you that his blood and only his blood secures our redemption and guarantees that we will enjoy life with you eternally. All glory and honor and praise belongs to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.